just a heads up, everyone, these are adults having adult conversations, so there is the possibility of adult language. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Magic Lessons, a podcast produced by MaximumFun.org and Riverhead Books. I'm Elizabeth Gilbert, and I just wrote this book called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. But even when I was finished with the book, I didn't feel like I was really finished with the subject. So I wanted to make this podcast where I could take the subject of creativity out into the world and have real conversations with real people about it. And that's where magic lessons come from. And what are magic lessons? Roadmaps for the path to creativity, the extra nudge we need when we're feeling stuck in our creative lives. Hey everyone, welcome to Magic Lessons. I'm Liz Gilbert. In the last episode, I spoke with Casey in San Francisco. She's a talented photographer who's ready to dive into an entirely new creative field, podcasting to be specific, but she's terrified of giving up her hard-earned photographer identity to make the shift. I gave her my take on what she might do, but I wanted to call up my podcasting genius friend, John Hodgman, to weigh in on the situation as well. Is that John Hodgman? Oh, hi, Liz. Oh, hi. Hello, famous author and friend, Elizabeth Gilbert. Hello, famous comedian, raconteur, author, actor, podcaster, deranged millionaire, former professional literary agent, and favorite son of Brookline, Massachusetts, John Hodgman, and my dear friend. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am very well. Um, I... I, I want to tap your expertise. Are you willing to allow some of your expertise to leak out of you and be used by people? <laughs> does it involve a podcast? It does involve a podcast. Well, then, yes, of course, I'll do it. I'm contractually obligated. Are you contractually obligated to to appear on every podcast that ever got made? All comedians are. <laughs> you have to contribute to or make one podcast every day or else you lose your comedian card. <laughs> Um, all right, my dear, here is why I'm officially calling you. We're helping Casey today. Um, Casey is a photographer of great talent, skill, and mastery. She's a young woman who has been working at her craft and field of photography ever since a camera was put into her hands when she was about 14 years old, and it shows she has beautiful, exquisite work. And she's living the dream. She's she's taken every creative risk necessary to become a really expert photographer. She's out living in San Francisco. She's she's doing it. Here's the thing. She wants it's two things. One, she's bored because, mm-hmm. as I explained to her, mastery is boring. Once you sort of get to mastery of something, it doesn't tend to excite you as much as it used to when you were trying to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And secondly, she wants to start a new endeavor, which is she's a a very passionate portrait photographer. And she feels like the, the, the portraits that she's taking of people are not telling the entire story of that person. And she wants to create, if I understand her correctly, a podcast in which she would also talk to and about the person who she's Photog- who she's taking pictures of, um, photographing is the Photographing is the term, yes. And she's scared because, one, she feels like, gosh, everything is going so well. Why, why am I mixing it up by trying something new and different? Two, what if it doesn't work? Three, I don't know anything about podcasting. These are all anxieties that feel very natural to me when somebody's about to make a creative shift. And the reason I wanted to call you in is because you have made probably more creative shifts in your life than anyone I know up close. Yeah, I... I... I make I make cr- creative career changes uh, as though I am running from something, as though I'm being chased by the law. I zig and zag so much. 
you do zig and zag so much, but it also seems to be done with a lot of pleasure, but I would imagine not without fear. And and secondly, you know a lot about podcasting. So how are we referring to this young woman? Um, you can call her by her name, and her name is Casey. Great. I'll call her Wilhelmina. And you can call her Wilhelmina, and you can. Um, she knows I'm calling you to talk about her. Okay. Um, what do you feel you have to, to give our, our lovely Casey? How old is Casey? Will, I mean, Wilhelmina? Uh, I think Wilhelmina is in her early 30s, if I'm correct. Maybe she's 29. She's a young person. She may be as young as 29. I can't quite remember, but she is, a, she is what I would call a very young person because she's younger than me. Right. So I'll she... refer to her by her own name. She deserves that much. Okay. You can call me Wilhelmina. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I empathize to some degree with Casey. Because I'm also a young woman living in San Francisco with a yen for photography. <laughs> um, well, that may be the only thing that I kind of haven't done. In, in you know, I started out as a literary agent, quit that to be a magazine writer, quit that to be a, a written humorist and write books of humor, quit that to do The Daily Show, which led to acting. And then, you know, I have remained a steadfast freelance person so that I can do as many different things as possible with with as little commitment to a, a, any one job. So so I completely understand why she feels the need to uh, strike in a new direction, you know, because that's a feeling that I've felt many times. But I don't know if she suffers from the precise same mania as me, because the mania that I have is that I'm just I'm just interested in in so many different things and worlds. And if someone will give me an opportunity to be a part of that world, I will generally leap at it and just be uh, not fearful, but but grateful, you know. What Casey has that I don't is a dedication to a particular craft, which for her is photography. And what Casey has that I think every artist of any stripe eventually feels is is a little bit of boredom with with the chosen craft. Right. And, and you, you put it very well. Once you get really good at something, it's boring. That's why all really talented artists, whatever they're craft, whether it is art or photography or saxophony. <laughs> Get your sax off of me, John <laughs> Paintography. Nitography. Whatever it is, the, the, the artists that we all aspire to have periods. They have, they have moods in, in their long body of work. They change. And they don't do this for any other reason than their, their own artistic curiosity and their need to move on from what they've already done and done well. Right. She hasn't figured out that you get bored of the, even the thing you love the most. And you certainly get bored of things that you do well, right? Right. So for me, I, I wrote three books of fake facts and invented trivia that was my utter passion. And when I was working on it, you know, I loved writing these absurdist little short, short stories and weird jokes about the nine presidents who had hooks for hands and pretending that that was true and then building a world around this sort of surreal, humorous, fake expertise, right? And I loved it. And I thought when I was writing those books, if I can do this for the rest of my life, I will be set. And uh, by the time I was writing the third one, I realized I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I know how to make these jokes. I've seen the DNA of these jokes right? at, 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 the, at the cellular and 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 beyond cellular at the mitochondrial level at this point and it's and it's boring to me 
I still like making jokes and I still like getting up on stage and being loved by people because I'm a monstrous narcissist. I wouldn't say that, John. But by the time my third book, That Is All, still available in paperback and audiobook. You are not a monstrous narcissist. You're a a narcissistic narcissistic monster. monster, Is that what you said? (laughs) I'm sorry. I talked over your joke. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, that's a terrifying thing that I've noticed, particularly artists who are in their late 30s and 40s who have done their work and made and made their mark in their career t- a little bit to be facing uh, that feeling of oh I don't want to do this anymore and and right. the question of what comes next is very fraught because it is charged with panic and will anyone like the next thing that I do do I have a next thing to do how do I find out what it is and and maybe this is the end for me <laughs> You know, like maybe I don't have a next thing. Maybe this is the end, you know. So it's just that Casey has come to it a little bit early and she needs to understand that, you know, all artists grow and change and evolve. And if you look at anyone that she admires, no matter what they do, they're going to be making changes. And some of the changes you're not going to like, you know. Yeah. I kind of had to stop listening to Tom Waits albums after Big Time because he was going into some weird sonic explorations that were leaving behind some of the more sort of fun time melodies that I liked. But he didn't want to be your organ grinder monkey, you know? Creatively, he didn't want to be my organ grinder monkey. Sonically, I kind of feel like he was figuring out what would happen if you shoved this monkey into an organ grinder? Sonically, he became exactly the thing he didn't yeah. want to be, as we all do. But, you know, <laughs> but but I I, be, I begrudged him nothing. You know what I mean? Sure. And I would buy the albums. I just wouldn't listen to them as much. And but I was glad and grateful, right, to this guy who had given me so much of my soundtrack of my, you know, teens and early twenties that he was good enough to know that he needed to do something new, that he needed to explore something new and keep it interesting for himself. And lots of artists, because they are under pressure, particularly very popular artists, internally, sometimes, you know, explicitly from their audience to keep making the hits that they love. Right. And and they become something other than than artists. You know, that's why you see a lot of artists who reach that level of fame go into clothing labels and and perfume labels. I thought you were going to say go into alcoholism, drug addiction, depression, and despair, which is also a side effect of not remaining vital and curious and excited about your work. Yeah, well, but if you're vital, like, you know, they they go into a different kind of addiction, which is I still want to have my name out there and I really want that money and attention. Right. But I'm going to have to switch over to creating a product that can be replicated over and over and over again. Right. That's why I made my own unisex fragrance. And your own mayonnaise. Uh, yes, indeed. But but I, re- <laughs> I really was pushing the unisex fragrance list. Oh, I thought the mayonnaise was the unisex fragrance. Oh, no, no, John, no, no. I'm They're sorry. separate products. I misunderstood. I, I thought that was the same product. But, but I actually formulated <laughs> with a professional fragrance uh-huh. consultant, a unisex fragrance. It was based on a bit from my comedy routine about sperm whales. So, uh, and how they produce ambergris, which you use as a fragrance fixative traditionally. Right. So I called it sperm by John Hodgman, but <laughs> and, John, um, it didn't sell there. Let me just say that there are bottles and bottles of it in a warehouse in New York city, and you can buy it by going to bit.ly slash survive Ragnarok. I'm just going to leave that there and we'll see if it makes the final cut. That's right. Listeners, you heard there are bottles and bottles of John Hodgman's sperm in warehouses in New York City that you can buy. But you know, that's the thing. That's the missing piece 
you started out by saying that Casey has taken all the risks, but she hasn't yet. Right. Right. Because right. the, ne- the risks never stop. The risks never stop. She's taken all the risks thus, thus far. far. And I'm glad you brought that up because I want to go back to something you said about whenever you've been given the opportunity to try something new, creative, you are not fearful, but grateful. And and I wanted to ask you to expand on that because I'm curious what it would feel like to never feel fearful because I, I have, whenever I'm doing something I haven't done before, there's always, I think part of the energizing emotion for me is the, the sort of tremor of fear of the new thing. I'm grateful too. But do you not have that at all? Or have you just learned to move? How, how have you learned to move past it? Because I'm very interested in how people work with their fear. I think I may have overstated what is true, which is that I do feel fear, but I am outweighed. My fear is outweighed by gratitude. And so right. if that's someone inviting me to do a job, to join their thing that I'm interested in, it's like a show or to guest star on a thing or to do a podcast with a friend. My gratitude is thank you for thinking of me. Mm. And the real powerful lesson among many, but I think the one that affected me most from your Ted talk, which I saw in person, by the way, you were my, you were my champion in that audience, John, I would not have been able, I'm not exaggerating this. I would not have been able to have given that talk in that way. If you had not coached me beforehand and been there in the audience with me uh, that thanks. day. Did you see me holding up the applause sign? <laughs> I hope not. Did you see me holding up the standing ovation sign? I'm so glad you're in charge of standing ovations at TED. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm not very stingy with them. <laughs> Among the many powerful lessons of that TED talk that I enjoyed from the audience was the idea of it's it's not that you have to create a new idea. You have to learn to be receptive to new ideas when they come. And this is the whole concept of the, the genius loci, the genius of a place, you know, the, that creativity was a spirit that came to you. And that's what it feels like when it's really working. You really feel like you're getting dictation from someplace else. And it does, right. it's, you know, it's the closest thing to a religious experience I've ever had because it truly feels like it's coming from some other other place. And I am a profound agnostic, so I can't say what that place is. Yeah. But you know it when you feel it. Well, yeah. And the trick is you need to learn. You need to, you don't always know it when you feel it. Like Mm. you need to learn to be receptive to the new, to the new idea. Right. Because being a writer or a creator and certainly a photographer, you know, is so much about learning how to see, you know, learning to be aware of what's going on in the world around you, observant out externally and observant internally and being on alert in effect. It's exhausting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone feels, but a lot of people just don't tune in in their, in their private brain radios. Yeah. Or you deliberately, it's, it's discomforting. So you deliberately numb it out. It's not that I want to have an unexamined life, but I would like to like one day have an unexamined lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very nice. <laughs> Just to reprieve. The breakthrough for me, after I realized with, with some mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, that I didn't want to write crazy fake trivia anymore and that, that that part of my life was over and I don't know what the next part is, was that Mike Birbiglia, the comedian, had uh, had suggested to me that I do a residency at a small performance space in Brooklyn called Union Hall. And so I I booked six or eight shows in advance weekly. And 
I tried to mitigate risk and fear as much as possible by keeping it secret and charging very little money, thus reducing the expectation of entertainment. But it's still a deadline and it's still suddenly, you know, I would I would wake up the day of the show thinking I have nothing. And then I would just start going through the previous week, writing down what, like literally what had happened each day. And and by the end of the day, I would have things that would that was basically 30 minutes of comedy or a story that I could tell on stage or sell someplace else. Ex Nilo, out of nothing something. Yeah, exactly. And and it was all because that deadline and that fear of missing it and the impossible, like I couldn't not go to the show or not do it. Do you know what I mean? Right. You're committed, yeah. You know, it, may, it made me tune in in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have. And suddenly I heard, knowing what you're interested in, knowing what you care about, knowing what you like, these are not easy things to know. You think they're easy to know. But it takes a while to say, like, why am I still thinking about this day? What was it about this day? What was it about this encounter with this person? And, and that's what a deadline really does for you. And from a performance point of view, it's, it's an even more powerful tool. Because if you're a live performer, you can't miss the deadline. You know what I mean? The show must go on. John, before I leave you, I'm wondering if you can give a bit of very pragmatic advice to Casey about podcasting, which is an art form I don't know much about. This is, this is the first time I've dipped into it. But you have a lot of – you've done a lot of great stuff in that realm. And, and I wondered if you had – You're talking about my Judge John Hodgman podcast where I – I am talking about the Judge John Hodgman podcast, which I was just listening to this morning yeah. on the Everybody, treadmill Everybody, Elizabeth gym. Gilbert, listens to Judge John Hodgman. She's been on it. I've been on it. I've been on it twice. Yeah. Real people call up with problems. I mean, disputes, I should say. And I resolve the disputes. So, right. But this is a dispute that I very rarely take on in my podcast, which is Casey versus herself. <laughs> Do I? And, and, and I normally, there are lots of people who have written in asking me to resolve disputes they're having with themselves. And I always say no. Oh, why don't you do? That'd be amazing. Do one. But for you, I will make this exception. All right, go. From a, from a practical point of view, you want to get a good microphone. <laughs> you want to get as good a microphone as you can as you as you can afford. Then I also practically would advise: don't expect a lot of people to listen. It's a field that has boomed for the past five years, and so there are a lot of podcasts out there. It's a very competitive field for people to listen to free things. But you will find and cultivate your audience if what you do is done on a routine basis that is pick a schedule once a week once a day once a month doesn't matter once an hour doesn't matter it has to be there when people expect it every time that's your deadline casey if this is the project that you want to try out and uh, and if it doesn't work or, or or you don't find it to be that fun you throw it away and you try a new idea because here's what i think casey might really be afraid of casey is reaching this point in of whether you say boredom or dissatisfaction or restlessness in her art, in her photography at an early age, maybe because she's not a photographer. I'm not saying her photography isn't wonderful, right? but it may be her terror is what I'm not feeling this anymore. What if I'm something else? What if I'm something else? Right. And when you feel that restlessness, you have to move. You have to try stuff because if you discover the thing that you're really meant to be, or at least the thing you're meant to be now, Right. You're happy. And if you don't find it, you're not happy. Yeah. And when you said, John, when you first started writing your books of fake trivia and you had that sense of, I want to do this for the rest of my life, 
Um, and then you realized, no, I don't. <laughs> I wanted to do it for precisely six years. The amount of time that you did it. And what you do want to do for the rest of your life is to continue to follow your curiosity and your inspiration, no matter where it takes you into all different settings, whatever the outcome may be. That is so. And that you can commit to. And um, and you have. And, uh, and so can we all. So say we all. John, thank you. Thank you. I love talking to you and... Um, Good luck on your next endeavor, as you always say to me. I'm really excited about your new book. I'm enjoying it tremendously. I think it's a great gift to everyone who does this sort of thing or wants to. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, sweetie. John Hodgman is a writer, an actor, a humorist, and a former literary agent. He's also one of my oldest friends in the world. He also hosts the hilarious and surprisingly wise and tender podcast, Judge John Hodgman. You can find out more about him at johnhodgman.com. Magic Lessons is produced by MaximumFun.org and Riverhead Books. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. Our theme music is by Dave Cahill. Special thanks to Becky Salatin, Jeffrey Klosky, Michelle Kafopoulos, Lydia Hurt, and Paul Ruest of Argo Studios. If you want to learn more about my ideas on creative inspiration, check out my new book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. It's published by Riverhead, and it comes out on September 22nd, 2015. That's in two weeks, you guys. You can find out more information about my comings and goings on elizabethgilbert.com, and you can always find me, personally, on Facebook, because I'm there literally every single day. So let's keep the conversation going. Next time on Magic Lessons, The Big Reveal... We're going to find out what happens when five women from five different backgrounds with five different passions all try to get back on track with their creativity. That's next time on Magic Lessons. I hope you'll join us.